Peace to you and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Naked Truth. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in the Gospels. We've made it now to the third Gospel in the Bible, the book of Luke. Uh, if you want to read along with me, let's begin with chapter 1, verse 1. Verse, uh, oops, sorry, I had to scroll up and then already went down. It's kind of a long chapter, so we're going to keep moving through it also because it, as quickly as we can because it also doesn't have any red letters and it, it's nothing it's not jesus's ministry beginning yet it's sort of like the um more like the nativity so let's begin verse one and as much as many have taken in hand and set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us so this is sort of like the writer luke presumably or whoever's passing on the message of luke um prefacing the whole chapter and the book of what uh, Luke is going to be um, spelling out for us in this book. Um, verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, so the person who's passing it on, again, presumably Luke, is saying just like how other scriptures in the past were passed along, um, he's attempting to do the same thing of documenting what it is, the story he has to tell about his experience with um, Jesus, Jesus's narrative. Verse three, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is saying that he's seen, he knows the beginnings of the story and he's relaying them to us. Theophilus, the word Theo um, refers to God. So it may not be talking about a specific person named Theophilus, but more like um, people who are a part of a religion, a church, an organization of people um, in a religion. But either way, Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus, either the person or the organization, and basically giving his account of Jesus' story. Verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. So Luke is saying this is basically to help uh, affirm the faith. Verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. But what Luke is saying here, <clears throat> excuse me, is drawing a timeline, which if you've read with me before, when we've gone through the Gospel of Luke before, you know that historically, if you look back at some of the figures that are going to be mentioned, like Herod, you'll see that the timeline is not perfect, whether it's the one in the Bible or the one in human history, because the whole AD and BC thing is not perfectly known either. So some of these people, uh, if you look at other historical records, uh, either existed before the 1 AD or um, either existed before or even passed away before 1 AD. So meaning some of these people are mentioned as being alive when Jesus was, uh, before Jesus was even born, but history will say otherwise about more than just one of these people. But you can look for yourself, people like Herod, Pilate, um, and some of the other people that we're going to read about. Um, so just so you have that in mind as we read through here. Um, but what they're laying out now, or what Luke is laying out here, is uh, some of the other people who are players in the story. So Zacharias is one of the people assigned with priestly duties, basically. Um, 
and talking about his wife um, being of the daughters of Aaron. So Aaron is the same Aaron from Moses and Aaron that we've read about on our other daily readings, but who was around um, to help liberate the people when they were enslaved in Africa. Aaron was sort of the first high priest working alongside his brother Moses to um, lead the people up out of Africa to the promised land, as it's called. So what Luke is saying here is that um, uh, Zechariah's wife is a descendant of those two, a descendant of Aaron specifically, I should say. Um, verse six, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So Luke is saying that they, the people he's talking about, Zacharias and his wife, were both adhering to all those different ordinances and um, commandments given that we've read about on the other daily readings. So the commandments are those big 10. Those ordinances are a whole laundry list of other dogmatic statutes and things that people are supposed to, or were commanded to, or not commanded, were told to abide by. But we've read already, like we read before, those were things given out to manage the society, to manage the congregation of the people. But the leaders themselves many times are exempt uh, from even having to follow those different orders. Um, but those are what he's referring to, that they were doing all they could to maintain those, um, sticking to those orders that were given. And he's saying they made, they did so blamelessly, meaning they walked in those different statutes righteously or say religiously. Verse seven, I say that because not all of those ordinances seem all that righteous, like owning other people as slaves, even though they were delivered from slavery and then passing those people down to your descendants like property. Could that possibly be from God Almighty, who a God that sees everyone equally and shows no favoritism? Doesn't sound like it. But it is how we read, so that's why we're reading. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So he's saying that both of them, Zacharias and his wife, were old folks past the time of being able to have kids naturally. Verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, so um, laying out the timeline and about the timeline, other preachers will point to the timeline and try and say that they can pinpoint the time of Christ's birth. But like I just said, the timeline of all these events is even off as far as the AD and BC timeline and how much more it would be off to try and figure out what actual day Jesus was born on. It's celebrated on December 25th for a whole other, a whole bunch of reasons, like uh, Christianity being conflated with other religions to help manage people's belief systems and everything. Um, because the date itself, um, I should say, the time of year, the December holiday season, uh, Christmas wasn't the first one. People celebrated and worshipped other entities that they called their gods and their lords that same time of year. Um, and so to keep some of those people faithful to the new religion, the new uh, faith of Christianity and the other uh, religions that sort of piggyback Christianity, some holidays were just switched over to Christian holidays, even though they were already being worshipped um, uh, by people for other deities, entities, religions. Um, so December 25th is probably almost certainly not the day Jesus was born on. But also, 
no one alive really can know the day that Jesus was actually born on because even the calendars themselves weren't even what they are now way back then, 2000 years ago. So I think the point of all that is try, I wouldn't get too distracted on people by people who tell you they know when Jesus' birthday actually was. And especially don't get distracted by people who tell you they know when the end is. Jesus tells us specifically that no one knows that day except God Almighty, except the Father alone, not even Jesus, not even the angels. So those things are red flags, I would say, for um, to be aware of when you hear people pushing religion rather than righteousness. Just something to consider. So um, verse 8, so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, I think we read that already, but the one thing I was going to mention about that was, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look back on the Old Testament as we've read it before, as we've been reading it on our other daily readings, the order of his division um, is laid out. The um, different sons of Aaron, they get a certain time that each of them has to serve um, in the specific roles in the ministry, and Abiah was one of them. <clears throat> excuse me. So um, if you look back on the Old Testament, um, like I said previously, other religions, other religious preachers would try to tell you um, that that's how they can pinpoint it. But you really can't pinpoint it that way either. At best, you can get a range of dates that might point to when um, he was actually in service to uh, doing his part of the ministry. But again, that's not exact. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So that was the duty that Zacharias had to do. Some people would be preachers, you know, like if you think in a church in modern times or a religious organization, not just a church, a mosque, a synagogue, whatever the case may be. Not everyone is in the pulpit preaching. Some people are doing other things, preparing instruments. Some people are singing. Some people are gathering the collection. Some people are greeting. Some people are doing all the different duties. His duty was to burn incense. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So people would gather together for worship and a certain time would come when people would um, pray during that hour of incense when the incense is being offered. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So as he's doing his duty with the incense, he's having a supernatural experience with an angel appearing to him. Uh, verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So encountering this supernatural terrified him. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You should call his name John. So not only is he getting the supernatural vision from an angel, he's also getting a prophecy delivered to him that um, he's going to um, not only have a kid, but he's going to have a kid and giving, being given a name to give to the child that's going to be born. Remember, him and his wife were considered barren at this point beyond the um, years of being able to have children in the first place. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So the angel is delivering also good news to him. Not only is he going to have a child since him and his wife were barren, but also the world or many are going to rejoice at um, and be glad at the fact that his child is born. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord 
and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So the uh, dietary restrictions that are being given to Zacharias for his son, John, same John the Baptist is who is we're talking about here, are similar to the dietary restrictions we've read about in our other daily readings with what the Nazarite it has to do. Samson was one, um, but there are others. And one of the things that they were told to do, they're told to do to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to align with that belief system is to avoid all things that come from grapes, whether it's wine or um, grape juice or grapes or even um, raisins. They have to stay away from all those things. Why? It's unclear. That's just one of the dietary restrictions that were given specifically for them. Um, if they're going to be faithful to that end and then think also they have to not cut their hair, uh, they have to let their hair constantly grow. And if they ever do cut their hair, then if I remember right, they have to um, shave off the hair of their bodies also and uh, the hair of their head and start over again, something like that when we read about it. That's what the Nazarite has to do. Um, but as far as John the Baptist, he's being told, his father's being told that he's to abstain from having uh, wine and strong drink also. And also being given another prophecy that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So even before he's born, he's going to have the, going to be um, uh, uh, induced by the Holy Spirit, which presumably would be what we're going to read about later, God willing, when um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, encounters Elizabeth, that's Zechariah's wife's name, uh, who's going to be pregnant with John the Baptist. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So the angel is giving the message that John the Baptist's role is going to be sort of a pointer, an opening act for the Savior, for Christ, for Jesus, to guide other people to or to point to other people to Jesus. Verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is a quote of um, the um, scribe or Luke passing on the message. So presumably it's what the angel has said. So what the angel is saying, though, since it's a quote, is actually um, a reference to an Old Testament verse that we haven't gotten to in our other daily readings yet. But um, it's referring back to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So since it's the angel saying it, it seems to be the angel um, telling uh, Zacharias and, you know, us that what when John the Baptist is to be born, he's going to fulfill that role of the one coming in the spirit and power of Elijah and fulfilling that purpose of turning people's hearts to um, the uh, fathers to the children and children to their fathers and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to prepare uh, people for God. Um, so I said it's a quote, meaning that it's the angel saying it. If it weren't the angel saying it, it would mean the narrator presumably Luke, saying that they believe that that's what John the Baptist's role is. But since it's a quote, it must be the angel, uh, just by nature of it being a quote, it would be the angel saying 
that um, that's John the Baptist's role to fulfill that Old Testament prophecy that Malachi gave um, about that opening act for Christ when um, the Savior makes the appearance in the flesh. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? An old man and my wife is well advanced in years. So Zacharias is being sassy. He's asking the angel, well, how can he tell if what he's being told is true or not? It does seem um, rude to say that to um, someone who's taking the time to make a supernatural appearance to you, to ask them, uh, well, how do I know you're for real? They're appearing to you out of nowhere, and you know it's clearly being identified as an angel, though it's not saying Zacharias identified it as an angel. The narrator seems to be letting us know it's an angel. At no point has Zacharias uh, said specifically that it's an angel he's encountering. So maybe that's why he has room for doubt. Either way, he's letting him know he's an old man and his wife is old too. So how can he possibly know that what he's being told is for real? Verse 19, an angel answered said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. So the angel is identifying himself now as Gabriel himself. Um, throughout the Bible, the angels don't always get names. Very rarely do they get names or get mentioned by name. We get a couple in the book of Revelation at the, book, at the end of the Bible. Um, but throughout, especially the Old Testament, I don't remember the angels getting names specifically, specifically, except for one of the um, premier angels, the devil, Satan. He uh, gets mentioned by name. Other than that, it's rare that you see one of the angels um, given a name specifically in the Bible. Here, he's letting him know what his name is, that he is Gabriel, and that he was sent with that spe specific purpose to deliver that message, and it's supposed to be good news. Verse 20, but behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So we've read in the Old Testament when people have encounters with angels, very similar to this one, as a matter of fact, when Samson's birth was announced. Um, there's another one that slips from my mind right now, but there was doubt around it. And when that person um, sort of answered with... Um, with doubts. They didn't get the instant karma of being slapped down and told they're going to be mute like uh, Zacharias is getting here. Instead, they sort of got an indulgence um, for their doubts and still got the miracle that they were prophesied to receive. Whereas now, I guess maybe if you're going to believe this is the Lord who's sending this angel with this message and believing that it's the same Lord who delivered the message previously to um Samson, it might have been Jonah. No, it wasn't Jonah. It was Samson's parents, if I remember right. Um, a lot less patient back then, or a lot less patient now than back in the Old Testament, if you believe it's the same entity delivering the messages. Um, so it just seems to me that's one more slight inconsistency. Why would the same Lord be um, more patient with people um, with doubts back in the Old Testament thousands of years before this moment with John the Baptist's parents, and then the patients be gone uh, by the time um, these birth announcements are given to John the Baptist. 
parents, but, um, you know, just a footnote, just something to consider. Um, so he's being told now that he's not going to be able to speak. That's going to be the sort of instant karma for expressing his doubts in the prophecy that was just given to him. Verse 21, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. So now some time has gone by. Apparently offering the incense isn't supposed to take very long. And the people outside are wondering well, what's going on, what's the delay? Verse 22, but when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So now it's obvious to everyone that something did happen and that's what was taking so long. Because now the person who went in to offer incense isn't able to speak and is also summoning them for writing instruments because he can't talk and needs to write down what he has to say. Verse 23, so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So now that he served his time as um, in his duties for the priesthood um, and now he's going back to his own place. And this is where some preachers will try to pinpoint the dates of the birth of John the Baptist and thereby try to pinpoint the date of Jesus Christ's birth. But again, it's not exact. It just says when they were completed. It doesn't say how long it took him to um, get back home. It doesn't say uh, how long after he got back home that he hooked up with his wife. So you really cannot pinpoint it, though some preachers will rope you into following them by pretending that they can. Verse 24, and after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months, saying, so now there you have it. It doesn't say how long after those days. It just says after those days. So it might have just been two days. It might have been the very next day. It might have been a month. It doesn't say. But after that, um, she did get pregnant and um, hid her pregnancy for five months, presumably because she's an older woman at this, at this point and probably doesn't want people uh, giving her the side eye like, oh, what is this old chick been up to that she's walking around with a baby bump at 90 years old, like Sarah from the Old Testament or something. So she's hiding her pregnancy. Verse 25, thus the Lord. So she's saying to herself um, about her situation. Verse 25, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So she's saying that's how the Lord has decided to handle her situation. Decided to wait till she becomes an old lady to remove the uh, reproach, the stigma of being a woman who's married but not having any children. Because remember, that's pretty much the layout of the land, the lay of the land from the Old Testament to the New, that the women are property. Um, let's you know another thing there that that can't possibly be from God. Why would God create people to be treated unequally and then codify it in the Bible and then also say that uh, God is not a respecter of persons? That's all inconsistent, but it is religion and it is what's in the Bible. It's a patriarchal, patriarchal document for the most part. And like I said again and again, except for the red letters of what Jesus has to say in the Bible. Otherwise, it's very much catered to the the, uh, the position of men, males, um, and women, unfortunately, are oftentimes just an, off, an afterthought. Um, so in her case, though, she's saying this is how God decided to deal with her, to make her um, take away her shame of being, an unmarried, of being a married woman who doesn't have any kids. 
because all sorts of things go through people's minds just because people are shady like that. When they see a married woman with no kids, then they start thinking things like, oh, he just he must just be married with to her just for the sex or thinking, oh, there must be something wrong with her physically that she can't have any children and all sorts of other things that are nobody's business but their own. But that's just how people are. So she's saying, though, that she gets kind of a relief that um, she's now at least getting that out of the way. And at least she's a married woman who also has a baby. And one other thing about her hiding the pregnancy, she might have hidden it also because she wasn't sure if she'd be able to carry it to term. Like a lot of women do now, they um, find out they're pregnant, but they don't announce it right away because maybe they've had miscarriages before. Maybe they've had abortions before and they aren't sure in their own mind of karma and everything. If And karma, I know, doesn't, that's not how karma works. Karma isn't. In that religion, it's something you don't even experience until the afterlife. I mean, karma in the sense of reaping what you sow. People lump it all together and conflate it as karma. It's not really karma. But they people will think that, oh, if I've had an abortion, then maybe I won't be able to keep this baby as uh, God paying me back for getting rid of that one. So uh, lots of different reasons people will hide their pregnancies. And sometimes they'll hide it because they didn't want it in the first place. Um, but in her case, she's hiding it probably because she doesn't know if she's going to be able to have it to term. Lots of different reasons. Who knows? But she's hidden it for five months. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So now the same angel is on the move again with another message, it seems, to another city. Verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So now um, one woman, the angel Gabriel was sent to, was too old to have kids. Now the angel is being sent to another woman who's engaged. That's what betrothed basically means. Um, so she, according to society, shouldn't be having kids yet. You know, the whole pre-married uh, or uh, married, uh, children out of wedlock thing. That you're supposed to be married before you have kids. Otherwise, it's considered sinful. Not what the Bible says, but what religion will tell you. So um, she's, um, that's where she's at. She's engaged to um, Joseph. And he, and now in this instance, they're tracing his lineage back to David, the same King David that we're reading about currently on our other daily readings. David and Goliath David, that same David. Verse 28, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So, you know, there's another religion that slides under the umbrella of Christianity that has people repeating um, that as a mantra, it seems. Um, Hail Mary, full of grace, that whole thing, if you've ever heard that. That's basically what this is pointing back to. And I say another religion because that religion picks up um, its doc dogma, doctrine um, from parts of the Bible that are outside of what Jesus actually taught. Yet again, like I said, it gets it conflates itself and slides under the umbrella of Christianity, but its its teachings are not actually Christian because many of their teachings contradict what Jesus himself, the one that Christianity is named for, even says. Um, but again, it's still right here in the Bible, just like other things in the Bible that contradict, like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament, then Christianity, according to Christ himself, we're to turn the other cheek. So um, 
those that contradict each other. And as a believer, whatever your belief system is, you have to choose which one it is you're going to believe. If you're a Christian, I would think you believe what it is Christ has to say and let that supersede anything else that anyone else has to say, including any other voices in the Bible. And that's just my um, my belief system, my understanding, the way I make sense of doing what it is Jesus tells us God's will is knowing concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether it, I speak on my own authority. That's what Jesus tells us in the one of the only two chapters in the whole Bible that tells us what God's will is. That's one of the things that we're to do is to know concerning the doctrine, whether what we're reading in the Bible or hearing from someone else is from God, something God said. And if you're a Christian, that means Jesus brought us that message. Or if it's something else, some something else that someone else said that might still be good advice, might still be something worth keeping in mind, might be something you might even want to live by. But that doesn't make it Christian. It doesn't make it gospel. And it doesn't make it something that has to do with a commandment that you need to follow as a Christian for your soul's salvation. So just something to keep in mind. Um, so anyway, that whole Hail Mary, that's what's being um, talked about there in verse 28. The angel is saying, hey, girl, you found favor in God's eyes and God bless you for it. Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So she's seeing what's happening to her. The angels made an appearance to her visually and she's wondering, well, what kind of hello, what kind of greeting is this that he's saying to me? Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. So she's being given a, re a reassuring message uh, to not be terrified at the fact that something supernatural is happening, beginning to happen to her. And not only that, God Almighty has noticed her and finds, given her the seal of approval. She's found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So she's being given a prophecy now that she also is going to have a baby. And she's being given the name to give to the baby, just like Elizabeth was given the name John. She's being given the name Jesus. One other thing about that before we move on. Some people believe, even some people who I follow um, on their platforms um, believe that um, Jesus's name is actually Yeshua, and that it's just being translated to Jesus in English. But just so you know, that's not true either. I'm using the blueletterbible.org website. You can use it yourself and search. You'll see that someone actually is named Yeshua in the Bible, and it's not translated to Jesus. It's a whole other different name. Um, and I know that Jesus's name with the Hebrew letters spells differently than it does in English still doesn't make it the same name just something you may want to consider and i'd say that like i said someone i respect and follow in other platforms um makes the mistake of saying that or what i believe to be a mistake of saying that so just something to consider um but she's been given the name verse 32 he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david so now she's being given the name to give to her baby, the prophecy that she's going to have the baby, and now even being given another prophecy that the baby is going to be fabulous. He's going to be popular, and he's going to um, guide others also to God being the son of God. 
and that he's going to uh, end up with a throne, the throne of his father, David, pointing back to the whole son of David, where he gets, where Jesus gets called son of David. It's people believing that he is the son, capital S, meaning of God, of David, meaning the son of God through the lineage of David. Um, from the Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled through his presence. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So uh, yet another prophecy that Jesus will be the king um, and reign over the house of Jacob, meaning the um, Israelite kingdom, um, and that there will be no end to his kingdom. So he'll be the fulfillment of the king of the Jews as he's going to be labeled when he's crucified, but also so much more than that with a kingdom unending, meaning it's going to reach way beyond there. Oh, we'll get into it further, um, probably as we keep reading, if I remember right. But um, she's been giving those prophet, given those prophecies. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? So her doubts her um, uncertainty is not quite the same as the expression of doubts that Zacharias gave previously. He laid out the fact, he laid it out in sort of a scornful way, it seems, the way it reads, as to saying he's old, his wife is old, and how can he believe any of that's true, basically. She's saying she's still a virgin, so how can it be that she's going to get pregnant? Verse 35, that's what she's saying, know, know a man. She's engaged, but she hasn't had sex yet. When they say no, in that sense, it's a euphemism for sex. She's saying she hasn't said sex, so how can she get pregnant? How can she bear a child? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the angel is delivering to her what uh, that other religion I just mentioned, or aforementioned religion, um, calls the Annunciation, where she's being given the order, given the prophecy that she's going to have the Savior, and um, he's letting her. The angel is letting her know now that the moment will come when the Holy Spirit will induce her, and in that way, that's in that moment is how she'll have the child, not through the normal conception or even other um, extra normal um, ways of conceiving like IV, not IV, IVF, in vitro fertilization, um, which by the way is a modern way of uh, a virgin birth. It, the virgin birth is what we're being reading about right now, which seems uh, impossible to non-believers, but in modern times, science can do that too. You can have virgin birth if you get in, in vitro fertilization, if a woman doesn't want to have sex with a man or can't find a man to have sex with or is not able to get pregnant by natural means, she can still be a virgin and go get IVF and be impregnated and be a virgin when she gives birth. So the virgin birth in the Bible is a supernatural miracle. Virgin birth in modern times is something that can mimic what we're reading in the Bible, just like uh walking on the water is a miracle in the Bible, but now there are jet skis and um, uh, other things. You can ski and walk, run and ski on the water. So mimicking what we read in the Bible and other things too.
um, the miracles of healing the blind or the lame. There are miracles in the Bible, but they can be mimicked in, by science and medicine in modern times. But that's what makes Jesus Jesus doing them um, the miracle because they didn't have the technology, as far as we know, to do those things any other way back then. Um, so verse 36, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who, for her who was called barren. So now the news of Elizabeth's birth, uh, pregnancy is being delivered to Mary. Because remember, she's hiding it, so presumably she hadn't even shared it with Mary, who I think the way it describes it is her cousin. Um, maybe it's going to go into it further. Um, but here we know clearly Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. And apparently Mary didn't know that um, Elizabeth was pregnant either. Remember, she's hiding it for those first five months. And the angel is saying now it's the sixth month for her. So we know at least the whole another month has passed by um, uh, since the whole time of, um, or I'm sorry, six months have passed by since the time that the news was announced to Zacharias and Elizabeth. So the angel is letting Mary know she's not the only one with a miraculous child on the way. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So, uh, so that's a wonderful message that Jesus also tells us uh, when Jesus does his ministry, the red letters. For men it is impossible, but not with God, but with God all things are possible. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus lets us know that so a lot of things, it seems, sometimes boils down to faith, whether we have the belief or not. Some things are not just faith. Jesus tells us clearly some things, some issues in life, some demons people wrestle with, figuratively or literally, um, can only be handled by prayer and fasting. So there's different approaches to take with different things and issues that pop up in life. And faith is just one of those things. Um, verse 38, then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary is more open to the news and prophecy that the angel Gabriel is delivering to her. And she's saying basically God's will be done. And then when she accepted the news, now the angel has departed from her. Verse 39, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. So now Mary's been given her own prophecy, but she's also been given news about Elizabeth. And again, I think it's her cousin, if I remember right, how they break down the lineage. Um, so maybe this was just to go congratulate Elizabeth, or maybe it's also to confirm the news that she just got to see if maybe it was true that what she'd been told about Elizabeth. Um, verse 40. Oh, one other thing about this. In modern times, the um, um, age of consent changes or has changed. It's around 16, I think now, to be considered the legal age of consent to have sex with someone. Um, in some southern states, I think it may be as young as 14 because they, they just recently changed their laws to make codify child brides, child marriages, so that men can marry children, sick as that sounds. It's uh, modern society in America. And it's one more thing um, about knowing the difference between norms and commandments. Norms change. The norm in the South is you can marry children. 
And um, and it was like that in the past, um, like a hundred years ago, child brides was nothing new, um, but that changed the way with society. Similarly, Mary, uh, from other documents that didn't make it into the Bible, was almost certainly what we consider a child also. She was still um, not even menstruate, menstruating yet. She was still not even having her period yet, according to other documents. Um, that didn't again didn't make it into the bible um she according to other things other scriptures was serving in the religion uh, with the holy articles a woman could only do that a female could only do that excuse me if she was considered clean and a woman who's menstruating having her period is considered unclean according to the stuff laid out in the old testament that we've read about on other days so the only way mary would even be able to do those duties is if she was still a child, not having her period yet. So most likely somewhere around 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, even younger in modern times, since girls are getting their periods earlier and earlier in modern times, probably is an effect, side effect from the different pollutions in the water, in the food, in the air, in the land, in the diet, um, uncertain which one or all of the above. But earlier and earlier, Females are hitting their puberty earlier and earlier, as well as males are get, having less testosterone um, in their bodies. Also, probably also due to some of those other elements that I just mentioned that are affecting females, probably some of the same elements affecting males. Um, but back to the norms thing. The whole point is norms change. Norms aren't commandments. Norms are societal rules that change with societies. So um, all that is to say, Mary's probably really, really young at this point and at the point that she um, gets pregnant and has Jesus. It's not mentioned in the Bible, but like I said, other documents, scriptures that didn't make it into the Bible um, go into it in more, into more detail. So anyway, she's gone to see Elizabeth, um, verse 40, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So she made it to her family's house and she said, hello. And um, what happens? Verse 41. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this seems to be, well, so now they've, Elizabeth, uh, Mary made it to Elizabeth and when she greeted her, basically said, hey girl, then the baby leaped inside, the baby moved inside Elizabeth's belly, you know, her body, her, her abdomen. Um, that seems to be a fulfillment of the prophecy that Zacharias was given that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's probably almost certainly what's happened there. And we know from what the timeline that we've read so far that she's about six months along when this is happening to her. Um, verse 42, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So now Mary's been given the God bless you from the angel. Now she's being given the God bless you from her relative Elizabeth. Um, and saying uh, God bless you for um, and the baby that's inside you. So Elizabeth hadn't been given that um, prophecy about uh, Mary having a baby. Uh, but Mary's been given the prophecy about herself having a baby and that Elizabeth's having a baby. Yet somehow, 
but presumably through the Holy Spirit inducing her, she knows that her cousin, that her family, Mary, is also going to be with child or with child at this point. Verse 43, but why is this? She knows it. Verse 43, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she's basically saying she's not worthy. How is it that she gets a visitation from the Savior's mama? Verse 44, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So she's relaying to her, to Mary, the message, the motion of the baby moving in her abdomen when she heard the voice of Mary greeting her. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So she's saying, Mary, God bless you for your faith, the fact that you believed in the message you were given, and for that faith, your faith is going to be rewarded. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So now Mary's doing her, um, giving her, giving praise herself, saying, um, praise God. Verse 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So now she's saying she's happy about the fact that God has seen her cause and saved her. Verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maid servant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. So she's saying she knows that in the prophecy being fulfilled through her, generations to come are going to consider her blessed. And like I said, other religions follow with that mantra of Hail Mary, full of grace. And so that prophecy is being fulfilled by a whole other religion in modern times. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So she's saying God Almighty has moved in her life. The Holy God has been working on her behalf. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's saying God is alive and active in the lives of God-fearing people. Verse 51, he's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So she's saying the way God Almighty works is knocking the proud down off of their high horses. Verse 52, he's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. So she's saying God is able to change times and places. He's able to move principalities out of their powers and exalted the lowly. I'm sorry, did we skip that one? Oh, and exalted the lowly. Oh, yes. Okay, so God Almighty is able to bring, take people low and raise people up. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So just like being able to dethrone one person and exalt another, God is able to make the rich, comfortable people not so comfortable and go away hungry and feed the poor and starving, hungry soul. Verse 54, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So Mary is continuing saying that God's being active with um, she's saying his servant Israel, meaning the whole nation, not just uh, the person, singular person, Jacob, who got changed, whose name was changed to Israel, but the whole nation of Israel is being helped by the presence of her baby and um, ba the baby that her relative Elizabeth is carrying. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So she's saying those prophecies that were given 
in the scriptures in the old, what we call the Old Testament, are being fulfilled through them. And it's going to be assistance, it's going to be help, it's going to be fulfillment of the prophecies given to their forefathers, the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So it seems Mary stayed with Elizabeth either all the way up to the time of her giving birth or just about to the time of her, probably just about to the time of her giving birth because um, the whole giving birth thing is considered another way a woman becomes unclean. So she probably left her before she gave birth to maintain her um, religious cleanliness so that she wouldn't be defiled, in other words. Um, just going by the old, what we read in the Old Testament, I'm guessing she probably didn't stay through the birth of John the Baptist. Verse 57, now Elizabeth, see, you see it now because Mary's gone, and now it's been nine months now, and now, in verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So she didn't wait around, Mary, that is. She went on back to her house um, three months into her own pregnancy, and now nine months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, and now Elizabeth's given birth and had a child, a son, just like she was prophesied to have. Verse 58, when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So they are happy for her, the fact that not only did she finally get pregnant as an old lady, but she also was able to carry the child to term and give birth. So at least she's got people who are happy for her. Verse 59, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So um, it's eight days gone by, time to name the baby. And it's saying they would have called him by the name. So it seems it's not like modern times where the mama gets the last word and what her child is going to be called. Instead, it seems there's a societal expectation for the child to be named after their father. Just like um, we've read before, if a man's name is Richard, then the child might be Richard's son. If the man's name is Stephen, the child might be Stephen's son. Um, and it takes a different form in the Bible where it's like Simon and then Simon Bar-Jonah. So it'd be Jonah. Then if he has a child, it'd be Simon Bar-Jonah. So the child's name is Simon, but the Bar is son. And then Jonah is the father's name as the last name. At least that's my understanding of how it works out in the Bible. So they're wondering what to name the child. And they're thinking they're going to name him after his daddy, Zacharias. Verse 60, his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. So the mama, speaking up, a woman having some say, is letting them know, no, her baby, her child is going to be called John. Verse 61, but they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So again, women are they have limited power throughout the whole Bible, uh, even to the point of them being able to name the children that they even bear themselves. So they're challenging her, telling her, the woman who had the baby, that uh, there's nobody with that name in your family. Verse 62, so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Because again, it's a patriarchal society. It's a patriarchal document. They're asking the man, what does he want the child who the woman just went through the trouble of birthing to be called. Verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. So now the daddy has spoken, not literally because he can't speak, he's still 
he's freaking mute this. Um, but he's written it down saying that his newborn baby son is going to be called John. So now everybody's wondering, they're in awe. They're like, well, what's up with that? They don't have nobody named John in their family. And why isn't he naming him after himself, naming the child Zacharias? Verse 84, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spoke praising God. So now Zacharias' muteness has been lifted from him. Now that he's named the baby, what the baby was already prophesied to be named. Now his um, curse, if you will, for not believing has been lifted and he's able to speak again. And the first thing he's doing is praising God. Verse 65, then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. So now they, the people feel they've witnessed a miracle. Not only was their priest stricken uh, with muteness, when he was given the news of having a baby, but now that the baby's born, he's able to talk again, and he's named the baby some strange name they've ever never heard of before. Uh, so the word is spreading. Verse 66, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. So all the people are wondering, well, what's up with this situation surrounding this birth? Verse 67, now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, so now we've seen Elizabeth get filled with the, with the Holy Spirit uh, and have John the Baptist move in her belly. We've seen Mary get moved, uh, get, um, I'm sorry, get um, conceived child by the Holy Spirit. And now you see the father, Zacharias, being affected by the Holy Spirit to um, move, induced to say something. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So um, the first thing Zechariah is saying was praise God for redeeming the nation. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah is saying God has moved for the people, for the nation, by bringing a, a, a means of salvation for everyone. Um, through the um, house of David, same King David, David and Goliath, David, fulfilling that um, prophecy of the son of David being the salvation and appearing to a later generation. Um, as he spoke by the mouth, I'm sorry, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. So Zacharias is saying again, that it's the fulfillment of old, what we call Old Testament prophecies. The fact that now uh, they're being fulfilled in his child and in the child to be born from Mary. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So that salvation would come in more ways than one. Soul salvation, but also deliverance, salvation in the sense of deliverance from enemies beyond just the danger that a soul can face, but the dangers that people face in daily life from haters. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So um, the saying here that um, the different mercies and the scriptures and the prophecies that would be fulfilled, he believes, he's saying he believes, he's being induced to say, he believes that they're being remembered. Those promises are being remembered and being fulfilled. Verse 73, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, 
So reflecting back on another patriarch, Abraham, um, one of the first biblical patriarchs, the father of other religions also outside of the Bible, uh, even to modern times, saying that um, oaths that he was even given in what we call the Old Testament are being fulfilled. Verse 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So saying, Zechariah is saying here that that's one of the prophecies that's being fulfilled, that regardless of what the enemies may have in mind, the, the descendants of Abraham would be able to worship in a fear-free world, in a way that's pure and without fear, and that it would happen for them one day. Verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, so that in worshiping freely, people would actually be able to worship freely and righteously and consistently. Verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. So now Zechariah seems fully persuaded in the prophecy he was given before he was stricken with muteness that uh, John the Baptist, the newborn, would be sort of an opening act to Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, to Jesus, to prepare his way before him, just like we read um, in the book of Malachi, um, that the angel prophesied when he gave him the birth announcement. Um, verse, I'm sorry, the conception announcement. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. So um, laying out here, Zechariah is the uh, mission of what John the Baptist is to do as that opening act, to let people know to repent and believe that um, the one to, that, that John the Baptist points to is Jesus, who has that salvation message in his mouth and in his ministry. And the remission of sins, that the payment of the sins is beyond having to make animal sacrifices but something totally new and different through the sacrifice, the gift of Jesus. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God with which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. So now it seems Zacharias is even reflecting on the fact that Jesus has already come by and visited them. Um, still in the womb inside of Mary's abdomen, um, but already paid a visit to the nation. And pray to pay the visit specifically to Zacharias and his household. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias is saying that that's the mission of John the Baptist, paired up with the mission of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Jesus, to let us know there's a way to salvation. It involves repentance and it re involves getting to heaven. And then Jesus and John the Baptist are the ones to look to with their ministry to getting there, to finding that peace. Verse 80, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So it's saying that John the Baptist um, is skipping through some time, saying John the Baptist grew on up and um, was around the people, but didn't really reveal himself until that moment when he um began his ministry as officially as John the Baptist, leading people to Jesus and his ministry. That's the last verse in this chapter, though. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for reading along with me. I hope the Naked Truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me for it. 
again and again throughout this new year, 2023. Happy new year to you. I love you. I appreciate you joining me and God bless you. And I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.